Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mary and Tom Show. I'm Tom. I'm Mary. This is our show. So today we had a new game come out, our 12th game. What game is that, Mary? Horse and Musket. And uh, people are ordering it, which is what we want people to do when we put out games. Yeah, we should do. <laughs> now, we had a couple folks ask us about the price of the game because it's uh, somewhat higher than our other games. It's because there's more stuff in the game. Uh, they said, well, we're expecting something more along the lines of, like, $50. And the, the thing is, if we were to sell the game for $50, we would be selling it for less than what it costs to produce the game. So I thought we kind of explain a little bit about how we price these things. Because I think there are basically two criteria we use for that, Mary. And that is, number one, how much does it cost? Because we're not going to price it for less than what it costs to, to make. That's not really good business. There's an article that Greg Costacan, I probably pronounced that wrong, uh, that he wrote about SBI. Uh, it's made the rounds for several years called SBI Died for Your Sins, where he mentioned an SBI product line, the capsule line, where they sold for $6, and that about covered the the amount to ship the game. And so they, they lost money in every one of those sales, and that's not a good way to run a business, generally. Not really. <laughs> And then the other criteria Mary and I use is what what would we pay for it? Because we're kind of the kind of people who don't want to overspend for games. Now, we'll go to the local game store and look at some of the war games there. There's a particular publisher, and I'm not going to say which publisher it is, but uh, their games are on, on the shelf, and they're usually much pricier than, than uh, what we would pay for it. Yeah, you, you, you said one day you'll get one. But... Yeah, not... <laughs> Maybe when it's like really on sale. Like, like there was a game, it was a card-driven game with like a one map and one sheet of counters, 110 cards, and it was like eighty dollars. And that's that's a lot of money for a sheet of counters, a map, and and the cards. I mean, we have games that are like one map and one sheet of counters. If we were to add cards to that, we wouldn't be asking 80 bucks for it. So, you know, so we try to look at, like, well, what, what is a reasonable price? And we felt with Horse and Musket that the MSRP, which is $85 right now, uh, if you're listening to this when it comes out, it's on sale for 77 77 Which is it's cutting into our profit margin quite a bit. But, you know, we're, we always try to put it on sale when we put it out. Um, yeah, I got a little wild when I was 77 yeah. Instead of eighty, we we usually do like five dollars off. We did a little bit extra signs. We knew how much more this game costs, but this game has twenty scenarios in it. It has the three sheets of the hex tiles that are double sided, and those hex tiles are just as thick as our counters. So they're made on the same material, and that is the most expensive bit in 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 our games are the counters. Now other publishers use the traditional method instead of the print on demand method, and have you know thinner die cut counters. Those counters are probably like the cheapest part of, of the game, but for us it's the other way around. And you know, we have thicker counters and we, we have to price accordingly. And that reminds me of a of a thread on BGG I've been participating in. So, someone was talking about how all all the games today are overpriced, and you know GMT games are basically five dollar folio games they're charging sixty dollars for. And, uh, you know, everything was so much better back back when. It's one of those kind of, you know, that was the golden age of wargaming. And wargames as an industry have just collapsed the last 30 years and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, if 
Everyone's entitled to their opinion, e even when they're wrong. <laughs> I think that one's wrong because I look at it like the golden age of wargaming, you know, is is now. Because right now there are more games coming out from more publishers and more designers on more topics with more unusual mechanisms. They're better games. They're better developed, you know. And I don't understand that kind of nostalgia for the way things were way back when. But I never really understood that. Uh, before we got into games, Mary and I were really into films. We're still really into films, I'd say. But you have a lot of people who go on about how much better movies were back in the day. Today is just sequels and remakes. And, you know, there's nothing original anymore. And there aren't great movies anymore. And I I think that's just a whole lot of bullpucky. Because there are a lot of great movies that come out every year. Every year there are great movies. Right now there are great movies coming out and, and playing in theaters. And people have been saying this stuff about how movies are a race to the bottom, etc., etc., for a long time. Now, we, we have a book in our collection. We have a book called The 30-Year Decline of Hollywood, which is takes us to premise that movies now are terrible. They were great 30 years ago, but they've just been terrible since then, and the, all the scripts are terrible, and there's nothing new or innovative or, or good going on now. And that book was written and published in 1958. This reminds me of a time when we had dinner with a crazy person. Do you, do you I would not call him a crazy person. So you know who I'm talking about. Yes, I know who the, you're talking the, about. The, I would not call him a crazy person. The, the, the chiropractor. Yes. Who's a part-time chiropractor that works out of a flea market on yes. Saturdays. Yes. <laughs> he had written a screenplay for a movie, and he wanted to see about us producing it because we were making films at that time. Um, we met him in a Chinese restaurant. His whole family was there. And uh, he gave us a screenplay, which was, I want to say, 43 pages, uh, double-spaced, sized, like, 22 font. He had written it over the course of several years and had never read it. Uh, and it was it was actually pretty terrible. Uh, I'm not, not going to lie. Um, but he had... He, he didn't really see movies either. No, that, and that's the whole thing that reminded me of this, is that... He, he called himself a movie buff, but he only really liked movies uh, that came out, I guess, when he was a kid, uh, and not even a whole lot of those. I mean, this was a movie buff who had never seen Citizen Kane. He did not know what Pulp Fiction was. He didn't see that Terminator movie that we saw. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I, I, mean, I remember mentioning something about, I uh, thought they did a decent job with the younger um, Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger and you know he just he he wasn't having that. No, he wasn't. He he was very dismissive of, of everyone's opinions, but but his own and especially mine. Yeah, his whole thing was like movies are terrible today. All the writing's terrible, and the actors are terrible. Brad Pitt, what he does isn't called acting. He's a terrible actor. Edward Norton, he's a terrible actor. Uh, you know who's a great actor is is Eddie Murphy. He he knows the power of a stare. Like Lugosi. And he kept going on, and it was an excruciatingly long dinner. And, and by the end of it, we were just waiting for him to pick up the check, which, which he didn't. And we are just happy to get out of there. Whatever his opinions were about movies, <laughs> the script was terrible. The script was terrible, yes. if... And he didn't... He, didn't, he was not he, as he a didn't criticism. He didn't understand movies. No, he didn't. He didn't understand didn't. movies, so... 
he couldn't write a movie. Yeah. The, the best way I could explain this movie of his is imagine Star Wars, okay, the original movie Star Wars, and imagine um, you have the first two acts going along as they are, so they get to the Death Star and they rescue Princess Leia, and then instead of like the whole third act with all the character development, with Han Solo coming back, with use of Force Luke, all that, imagine that they found some trick little way to to destroy the Death Star at the end of the second act. And that was kind of the feeling with with this movie. You know, it it was kind of a terrible generic like action fantasy movie set in the Detroit Institute of Arts. Uh, and he had written it with Morgan Freeman, Robin Williams, and Grace Jones in mind. And I know that because he told us that and because the script identified them as the actors playing those characters. This was supposed to be like a kind of a locally funded, low-budget film. And, and I said, you know, this is... They're kind of out of your price range there, guy. And, and he, he was like, no, no, they'll take a cut for me. They'll take a cut for a little movie like this. And I'm like, no, um... They'll do that, like, for a little movie that's that's more about the characters. They're not going to do that necessarily for, you know, a action comedy film. But he just wasn't having any of that at all. And he was kind of convinced that once he made the movie, theaters would be required to play it. So he didn't quite understand how distribution worked. I mean, I would say he was a fun character, but we were kind of... I, I was kind of worried he was going to murder us. So, I mean, I, I don't know if I was... It was really fun. And I remember we returned the script to him at his uh, his office <laughs> the uh, on that weekend. At the flea market. At the flea market. And he mentioned, well, if you're not interested in this, I, I have this reality show I want to do. And the reality show he described was basically the Hunger Games or Battle Royale or some other thing where the people are killing each other. And it wasn't really clear from the way he was describing it if they were really killing them or not. And we said, you know, that's kind of morally reprehensible. He's like, I know, I know, but but if you do this thing and make a lot of money, you'll be able to do what you want. And we're like, well, we make these low-budget films anyway that cost, you know, three, four hundred dollars. We can do what we want anyway. We don't. We don't need to do that. So that was that guy, and his whole thing, like, oh, movies are terrible, and uh, I don't know. I don't know, guy. Just garbage, guys. There are great movies coming out right now. There are great games coming out right now. Why, why be nostalgic for for years and years ago? I mean, I can't be nostalgic for years and years ago because like, I can't be nostalgic for like. The, the golden days of SBI and Avalon Hill, because, I mean, I wasn't born yet. You know, and that's the other thing, is that there are new people coming into war games all the time. People like me, people like Mary. Yeah, games are good, movies are good. We saw a good movie lately. Mm -hmm. What do we see, Mary? Guardians of the Galaxy 2. We really enjoyed that. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it quite a bit, yeah. yeah. I'll watch anything that's science fiction. This is true. <laughs> Tom, Tom has had to sit through some bad movies. Yeah. And no, The Fifth Element is not a bad movie. Do not say that. Well, <laughs> the, I'm not a huge fan of The Fifth Element uh, at, at all. But I know Mary likes it. Mary likes it an awful lot. 
And so to keep Mary happy, we watched The Fifth Element. Now, I only watch really great movies. Like Hudson Hawk. Like Hudson Hawk. <laughs> One day, as day will come, people will realize what a great movie it is. I won't have to tell them about it. They'll know. Guardians of the Galaxy was, was a good movie. I, and I'm, I'm talking about two, okay? That was a good movie. You know, I don't think it was as focused as the first one. No, it wasn't. It was kind of dispersed. Kind of, uh, uh, you had the different threads going on, and they all converged at the end. Which is, is kind of similar to uh, Empire Strikes Back. Because, like, in Star Wars, you have... I mean, it didn't have the same darkness or depth of Empire Strikes Back. But in Star Wars, the first Star Wars film, you have that very... A straight line, that momentum, carrying all the characters together, mm-hmm. and then in um, Empire, they're all got their own little threads going on, being intercut. What was the other movie we saw recently uh, at the theater? Oh, um, right, uh, Lost City of Z. Yeah, that's really good, by the way. Go see that. That was that was very good. Yeah, both those are good. In the last couple days, we got uh, some art back from our artists, which it all came in kind of at once, which is really cool, seeing all these things come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a project from Ilya, which was the Seven Pines map, yep. which we gave him that... Three days ago. And it was ready this morning. <laughs> so he's, he's very fast. And if you've seen his work, he's also very good. He does it very quickly, but it's always of a very high quality and... You know, boy, we appreciate that and his work. Thank you, Ilya. Yes, thank you, Ilya. Um, and then uh, from Anya, we got the uh, first draft of the Dynasty map. We had a couple tweaks, and she took care of them pretty quickly. And uh, it's looking really nice. It uh, definitely has a look that is appropriate for 10th century China. Uh, she actually sent us an email explaining all the different techniques and styles that she was using and how it was period accurate. And uh, Thank you, Anya. Thank you. And then Patrick uh, Tremoreau, who uh, did the art for two times, and he's working on the map for more aggressive attitudes. It's Sean Tyson's game about the uh, 1862 Manassas campaign. And he's very nearly done with that. And one thing we like about uh, Patrick, and also actually about Anya and Ilya and all their artists, is they have a really good attention to detail, and they do a lot of research. And uh, I've told a story before about the time Ilya uh, stopped us from putting a road on the map that was actually a drainage ditch. Uh, And Patrick actually located some some mountains uh, that should have been on the map originally, but that had been missed the first time around. So, well, there actually should be mountains here and here. And uh, just that attention to detail and that willingness to go that extra step, we really appreciate that. Really, they're more like collaborators. And speaking of artists, I can now announce uh, a project that's upcoming and the artists we have attached to it. So we're going to be going ahead with the Forex foreign exchange game that uh, we mentioned a couple episodes ago. Remind them what the game's about. Uh, so the game is about trading currencies, and each currency only has value relative to the other currencies. You're trying to make the most money, but what is the most money depends on what ends up being the strongest currency. It's very opaque and more of an economics game, and we were kind of worried about it. But you know, after putting the feelers out a couple episodes ago, a lot of people are like, you know, that that sounds great. And the artist who is doing the graphic design for the game 
is Cole Worley, uh, which I'm very excited about. I've always been a big fan of Cole's graphic design work as well as his game design work. So to have him do the art for one of my games is really nice and something that I'm really excited about. I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.